have a reading to share with you from the author and writer Amy Bloom. She says, all intimacy is rare. That's what makes it precious. All intimacy is rare. That's what makes it precious. And it involves the revelation of one's self and the loving gaze upon another's true self. No makeup, no fancy car, no defensive charm, no deduction, no, no seduction. That's what makes it so damned hard, she says. Intimacy requires honesty and kindness in almost equal measure. It requires trust and trustworthiness, forgiveness and the capacity to be forgiven. The perseverance of Marie Curie and the tenacity of Ivy, she says. It's more than worth it, intimacy. It is more than worth it, Amy Bloom says. Just don't let them tell you it's bliss. So here we are, we're in the middle of our Sex and Sermon sermon series, and we're talking about spirituality and the sacred. We're right in the middle of talking about bodies and the sacred stories and each and every body. It's intimate. It's vulnerable. It's real terrain that we're exploring here, honest terrain, and it's tender. It's for each of us and for different reasons. And I have found myself wanting to be careful and mindful about what I say and how I say it because I recognize that not everyone in this space is in a relationship. Not everyone in this space has a partner. Some of us are single by choice. Some of us by circumstance. And I know that many of us in relationships uh, are struggling. It's not an easy time or season that we're in in our Relationship, And I know that for many of us here, when we talk about the body, that is a challenging thing. You have wrestled with your body and body image for a long time, building that capacity to love and care for your body. And I suspect there are some of you in the pews today that have been waiting in this sermon series for us to really get down and dirty into the details of... <laughs> sex and spirit, probably in more specifics and more details than many of us would be comfortable with. I don't know. I'm just imagining. There's a lot to explore in this topic. That's as we've moved into it. There's just so much to explore. And I have wondered at various points in time, should I talk about pornography and erotica? Should I talk about fantasy and kink and the dimensions of our personal lives? Should I talk about the importance of knowing and loving your body as a source of pleasure and a source of wonder, a way that we can know the holy? Should I talk about where the spirit of life, where God, where that creative, dynamic, transforming source, where that fits in to all of this as we think about longing and desire? Should I talk about the fact that there is no reason to feel ashamed of our longings, of our desires, of our fantasies even. No reason to feel ashamed as long as we are not hurting ourselves or hurting other people, as long as we are not damaging ourselves or other people. Should I talk about sexual addiction? You see, once you start pulling on the thread, 
of sex and spirit, all sorts of stuff comes up. There's so much to explore, and it touches us in different ways, each one of us here. And so the gift I think I can bring as I sat with this and sort of took some steps back from it to look at the landscape, the gift I think I can bring is the ability to acknowledge the complexity of issues that we're looking at, and then to really step back and offer some perspective and some wisdom from that level kind of stepped back, the 30,000-foot view, something that might speak to all of us, whether we're in a relationship or not, and whether we're seeking physical intimacy or emotional intimacy or sexual intimacy, something that can speak to all of us. And I use that word intimacy, and that was the piece that clicked for me as I thought about what what wraps around all of those things I, I mentioned. And it is I think it is intimacy. That is the foundation to have those needs met, whatever they are. Intimacy is the foundation. So that's really where I want to start this morning. I want to talk about the ingredients of deep intimacy. And I think that this will speak to all of us. I hope this will speak to all of us. First, let's define what we're talking about. And I think when we talk about intimacy, we're talking about being and revealing our true selves, the deepest, most honest parts of who we are, and all that goes with that, the flaws and the strengths, all of it, that is wrapped up in intimacy. Intimacy is about feeling safe to show up with our whole selves. It's not having a piece of who we are hidden over here or barricaded over here or just a part we won't talk about, but a space where all of who we are, the experiences that have shaped us, that can be brought forth. And frankly, that's not easy. We'll say that on the front end. That's just not easy to do. I mean, there might be a few people where you have that deep, deep level of intimacy. It's not easy to do, but the trick and the trap we find ourselves in, and Amy Bloom points to this in this piece she wrote. She says, we look around and we see intimacy being sold to us in all kinds of different ways. In these, in her words, cheesy self-help books about how to be intimate. Through glossy photos of young couples and then softly lit photos of older couples. <laughs> right? Knowing laughter, right? We know this. We're like, we see these people in the media or elsewhere, and we're like, wow, it's just so, intimacy is sold to us as easy and as bliss. Well, it's not easy, and it's certainly not relaxed bliss. Intimacy, real intimacy, the deep connection with another or with many others, it is hard, spirit filled work. It takes time. And it takes timing, right? You can't be on your way out the door or just finishing a hard conversation and be, oh, by the way, the thing that I really need you to know right now about me is this. That, that won't work either. It is hard, and it takes time, and it takes timing. And yet we long for it. We yearn for it. We hunger for it. And in that yearning and longing and hunger, there is also fear. All of that is wrapped up. Here's how that intimacy dance of longing for it and be afraid of it works. Just a few little snapshots. And this is just stuff I imagined. You know, the sense of I really want to be close to this person, this person in your life. I really want to be even closer maybe. But what if I reveal this part of myself and they reject that part of myself? 
Another version of this might be that desire and fear. What if I tell this person that I'm with about this fantasy or turn on or whatever it is that I have, I mention that to them, and then they can't handle that. Another version would be, what if in this moment or this conversation I actually do what my body is telling me to do, which is just weep because I'm sad, I'm in grief, I'm brokenhearted, whatever it is, and what if I do that and I seem weak or I seem less than I should be, and what will people think of me then? And that's also further complicated by this desire we have not to hurt people, right, by saying the thing that is true for us, that is weighing on us, because we know on some level it would push right into their most sensitive place. All of that is wrapped up in this fear, this longing for intimacy and this fear of intimacy. We have a hunger, a yearning for this way out of the loneliness and the isolation that is so often a part of life, even when we're in a relationship with someone, when we have close friends, the loneliness and the isolation that is so often a part of our lives. And intimacy, bringing our whole selves to another, it can be healing and it can be terrifying. And so today I want to share one key ingredient There's a lot, as Amy Bloom mentions in her article. Uh, She talks about kindness and forgiveness and compassion and perseverance. But I want to just focus on one central ingredient, and that is vulnerability. I think vulnerability is the key ingredient as a way, as a pathway to intimacy. And this is not going to be exhaustive this morning, an exhaustive study of how vulnerability is a pathway to intimacy. And I'm sure you will think of how this intersects with your own life. But I want to lift that up and suggest to you that that is one of the key pathways to intimacy, vulnerability. Vulnerability is the way to intimacy. That idea bumps up against so much of what we know and have learned in this culture the sense that vulnerability is weakness, vulnerability is dangerous, vulnerability is silly. I mean, the mantra, especially for men, is be tough, stand strong, reveal nothing. (laughs) And that's played out in this 30-second conversation. How you doing? Fine. (laughs) Well, probably a lot more going on underneath there. The idea is vulnerability is, is a dangerous place to go. It's a sign of weakness. We should be strong. We should reveal very little of what's happening in our internal, spiritual, emotional life. But friends, when we turn to Brene Brown, someone who has done extensive research on vulnerability and extensive writing on vulnerability, and probably some of you have read some of her works or seen, she has a video on TED Talks, she flips around what we think we know about vulnerability. She flips it completely around and says vulnerability is actually often the strongest, bravest, most courageous thing that we can do. Vulnerability is not a sign of weakness at all, she says. Instead, it is about having the courage to put down the armor, to unhook the plate mail or the chain mail or whatever we're wearing and put that down to surrender the persona that we've been projecting, the mask that we're wearing, to take that off and then move into a posture of deep honesty about who we are. Brene Brown says it like this. 
Vulnerability is essential to wholehearted living. Vulnerability is essential to wholehearted living, to soul-expanding living, to open-hearted living. Vulnerability is essential to wholehearted living. It is an emotional risk to be vulnerable, to expose our true selves, but it is our most accurate measurement of courage, to let ourselves be seen and known, imperfections and all. Yes, it can feel vulnerable initiating sex with a spouse or a partner. Yes, it can be vulnerable to be the first one to say, I really care about you. I think actually I love you. It can be really vulnerable to make that hard phone call and not know how it's going to go, how that will turn out. It can be really vulnerable to confess that the life that you've built, the schooling and the education and the family and the job, all of it is not actually maybe the life that you want to be living. It can be vulnerable to say to yourself or to others, I think I have a problem with alcohol. I think I have a problem with drugs. I think I have a problem. I need help. It is a risk to put ourselves out there. But here's what Brene Brown says. And this just pierced me when I read this. I went back to this. I keep reading this again and again. I'm going to put it up on a mirror in my house. I'm going to put it on my desk here at work. She says, if you trade, if you trade your authenticity for safety, if you give up vulnerability to feel safe, if you give up vulnerability not to reveal risking what's really going on with you, if you trade your authenticity for safety, she says, you may experience the following. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, addiction, rage, blame, resentment, and inexplicable grief. This is from a researcher who has done hundreds and hundreds of hours in conversations with people. And she says, let's hear that again. She says, if you trade your authenticity, if you give up your vulnerability, if you trade your authenticity for safety, you may experience the following. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, addiction, rage, blame, resentment, and inexplicable grief. That struck me. She went on to say, vulnerability is the birthplace of joy and love. Vulnerability can be the birthplace of innovation and creativity and change. What makes you vulnerable, she says, makes you beautiful. Let me share a story with you, a story I have permission to tell that makes this concrete. When Jen Crow, our Minister of Program Life, started here, Back in August, on the very first Sunday that she was scheduled to preach, she sent me a draft of her sermon to look over and to comment on before she, before she was done with it. 
She wanted to make sure it was a good sermon. She wanted to make sure that she got off on the right foot with this congregation, with you all, people she has come to know and love. And it may not seem like a big deal to you, but I can tell you as a preacher, when I am working on a sermon, it is the most tender little baby that I am holding and clutching in a kind of defensive posture because I am pouring my heart and soul into that. And so the idea of having someone else look at it before it's done and then offer feedback or observations or suggestions, that feels incredibly vulnerable to me. And I think it did for Jen, too. She said in this email, I haven't done this before, but it feels like a good way to start our relationship together at this church. Do you mind looking at this sermon? So that felt like off-the-charts vulnerability to me. I looked over the sermon. It was a great sermon, as her sermons are. I had a few tiny, tiny little suggestions, but nothing major. But then something else happened in the days and weeks after that. Jen's vulnerability, her willingness to share that with me, her sermon with me, that was the birthplace of innovation and creativity and change. And here's what I mean. After she did that, I I started thinking to myself, I started thinking, wow, if she's willing to do that, I might try doing this and see what I can learn from her about preaching. And so that we have the best possible Sunday morning experience for you all, that we're not going to be attached to like protecting it, but the goal is like another set of eyes to help make it really good. So her vulnerability helped me to see her courage and her depth, and as a result, our professional relationship became more intimate. We took a step toward one another, this sense of we're in this together. It's not about her sermons or my sermons being, you know, and off in different camps. Like, we want to have the best sermons possible. We want to have the best ministry possible. I have a lot of respect that she did that, and it invited my own vulnerability to come forward. Something new was born. This creative thing happened, and now the worship team actually shares sermons with each other before we preach them. Imagine some feedback before you go, live with the whole thing. <laughs> but it's a, if you're a writer, you know what this is like when you're working on a draft or probably if you're doing any kind of creative project, it's the same feeling. It is not easy to be vulnerable like this. And I want to just mention at this point in the sermon that I suspect one of the thoughts running through your head is, okay, so vulnerability is good, and as I move into vulnerability, I can see how that can lead to intimacy But a close companion walking with you in that is shame oftentimes, right? Like for me with the sermon example with with Jen of sharing my sermon, it's like, well, what if she sees that something, this isn't really good or doesn't make sense? Like there's shame is that horrible sense that there's something fundamentally wrong or broken in you. And if someone sees it, if someone sees that, then the affection or the love or the, the the relationship, the tenderness, like that will be cut off. And so shame is that voice that says, I will not let people see this part of me. I will keep this hidden. Shame is a barrier to vulnerability. I think it's a human experience. I think we all experience shame at different points in our lives, but it becomes, it can become a really big barrier. And so one of the practices I have in my own life that helps my heart stay open, that helps me step toward vulnerability, even when I'm feeling shame, is to remember, 
is to remember as deeply as I can that I am held, that we are held by a love that will not let us go. That there is a love that holds us, that created us, that brought us into being, that we are held by, imperfect though we are, that we can do nothing to lose. There is nothing I can do to make that love leave me. That love cannot be withdrawn. That's the core of my universalist faith. So when I get into that panicky place and I start to feel ashamed, I remind myself there's nothing I can do to lose that love. That helps me stay open, helps me stay vulnerable, and that in turn can lead to a greater intimacy in my life. Vulnerability, as I think you know, begets vulnerability. It is a cycle. It is a movement. When one person leans into that tender place, other people lean into that tender place. I think about this especially in the context of what we're doing in our small groups at church. If you've been in a small group, I suspect that when you have listened to someone share deeply and honestly about their truth, your heart expands. You recognize the power of what they've shared, the way the Spirit has been moving among you in that space, and you feel a deeper connection to them. You feel a willingness to be vulnerable yourself, to meet their vulnerability with your own. In that place, in that circle of deep, non-judgmental listening, a kind of sacred, creative, life-changing love and intimacy can emerge. That's the crazy secret about vulnerability, hard as it is. The more we lean into it, the more layers we pull back from ourselves to be clear about who we are and what we really want to do and be and what we need in the world, the more other people, most often in my experience, will lean in to meet us in that place. And when we start to peel back those layers, a more honest, real self emerges. When we start to say, I'm not going to listen to the ideas of what I should be or should do, and we can just deal with what is and who we are, that can be a liberating, freeing moment when we realize there's all sorts of creative ways. Once we put out there, once you say, this is who I am, this is what I need in this world, all kinds of possibilities for your life can unfold. Leaning in is powerful. I don't want to make vulnerability sound too easy and too rosy. It is not. It is often terrifying. It feels like you will die if you say the thing that is most real or true for you. It can be a bumpy ride. Real intimacy, real vulnerability, not the glossy kind of intimacy, not the media pictures of the happy young couples and the candlelit old couples, but real intimacy involves anger, can involve anger and disappointment. You might express your needs or desires to your partner or your friend, and they may not be able to fulfill those needs or desires. Or they might be shocked to hear that you have those needs and desires. They might be disappointed that it has taken you so long to be honest about what you need. There might be anger and disappointment as you wade into that conversation. But if you can stick it out, a deeper intimacy may emerge, but it's not 
always an easy prize. Amy Bloom says it this way. Sometimes we want the rose of intimacy, but not the thorns. Sometimes we want the rose of intimacy, but not the thorns. We want a smooth ride to intimacy. No potholes or bumps along the way. Thank you very much. But friends, there are bound to be bumps. And if at that very first bump we get off the ride, then we can miss the rewards that come from staying engaged, even through anger and disappointment, even through hurt. All intimacy is rare, and that's what makes it precious. And though I know it is hard work, I'm not convinced it has to be so rare. We can take steps to deepen our capacity for intimacy. We can practice vulnerability. That's the pathway to intimacy. We can practice vulnerability in our small groups here at this church. We can practice with one another. We can practice in our relationships. And as we do this, I believe our world will open up in wonderful and remarkable ways creative ways, life-giving ways, because vulnerability is the birthplace of joy and love. It is the birthplace of innovation and creativity and change. Vulnerability is what makes us beautiful. Vulnerability is what makes us beautiful. May it be so. And amen.